LL Nation, what's good? Lucky Lefty Podcast. I'm your guy, Sean Davis at SD2 Mics. Malik is just getting off a call, so he'll be with us shortly. We are brought to you by Anora Whiskey. Go to AnoraWhiskey.com. It's that premium American whiskey, AnoraWhiskey.com. We've had a fantastic week of conversations. Great guests this week. Go back to all of our previous podcasts. You can check out shows with former Notre Dame shooting guard Rex Fluger. And then also, yesterday, we had a fantastic show. Former Notre Dame quarterback Brandon Wimbush gave us about an hour and 15 minutes of in-depth conversation about the Notre Dame program and the narrative around the quarterback room at Notre Dame, going all the way back to Tommy Reese up until his time with Ian Book. It's a fantastic conversation, lots of insight. Go check that out. As always, smash the like button. Smash the like button, share, let everybody know about the Lucky Lefty podcast. We spin it different. So no different than today. We're going to put the link for the studio in the chat probably about 45 minutes from now. It's all about you guys. It's for the Culture Friday. So we're going to invite our fans and our listeners to come jump into the show. Any question you want to ask, nothing's off limits. It's Friday. You guys will get to control the show for the last 10 to 15 minutes. We appreciate you. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get to our special guest today. Someone that I have a connection with. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to see if he remembers how far we go back, but none other than 247 Sports own Steve Wolfong. He joins us right now on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Steve, how are you doing? What's up, Sean? I remember sitting in the studio with you in Chicago many, many years ago. Yeah. Had more hair. Yeah. We're swole. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Things have changed. Doing well. I actually have a kid in college now. <laughs> Time moves on. And congratulations to you. How have you been doing? No, everything's well. No complaints here, man. Just trying to keep up with recruiting. Same as same as I always have. Yeah. So for our Groundhog's Day in this life, brother. I hear you. I hear you. For our listeners, uh, Steve and I. Steve was actually the first individual that invited me to come watch a high school football game with me when he was a uh, Midwest recruit over Midwest recruiting. Or 247 sports and we went to soldier field and it was a double header it was providence catholic against morgan park and Simeon against mont carmel and i'll never forget that day it was a fantastic time and uh, that's when i really started to get my itch for recruiting and high school football and college football and as you said before he used to come on the jared payton show and come in studio with us as well back in the days on State Street, downtown Chicago. So, Steve, we're going to talk about Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and everything, but I want to get into your time covering these high school recruits. What has changed since you first started? Have the recruits changed or have things around them changed? Well, I think the thing that's changed more than anything is the level of interest in recruiting. You know, when I first started covering recruiting, you know, 17, 18 years ago, <clears throat> it was still more of a niche market, you know, even like rivals and scout.com weren't mainstream or whatever, you know, and uh, 
now these blue chippers are getting media attention from all over the place. And so there's a lot more, there's a lot more people doing it and there's a lot more eyes on these young men before they get to college nationally. So when you talk about that, there are a lot of fans out there that question the entire ranking system and how these guys are ranked. Matt Painter said something very interesting the other day, and he basically said, he's speaking from a basketball standpoint, he said everybody knows who the best 20 guys in the country are. Like, doesn't take a genius to know those guys. He said, but once you get past 20 as a coach, now you have to do your due diligence to go out and find out what type of heart a kid's had, a kid has. And, you know, ultimately because the kid can only be as good as his coach thinks he can be in his system and at that particular program. Do you agree with that assessment or do you feel like it goes a little bit deeper than that when it comes to assessing high school juniors and seniors? Well, football, there's more prospects, you know, there's bigger rosters uh, on the football side uh, collegially compared to basketball. And with basketball, the AAU circuit allows those coaches to get out on the road and see the best versus the best within a game that's going to resemble the college game. And what I mean by that is in football recruiting 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you didn't see a lot of best on best other than maybe an all-star game setting, you know, um, and uh, you would see guys in camps and combines, but it wasn't real football. But now you're seeing, you know, St. John Bosco play against Cincinnati, St. Xavier, you know, or, you know, Miami Columbus going out to California or Las Vegas and playing Bishop Gorman. So you're, 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 there's a lot more showcase camps and, and, and things to make it easier to identify prospects and stack up the best versus the best. Um, but with, with, uh, so with basketball, it's, it's, it's probably a little easier to identify or it's always been a little easier to identify the no brainers, right? Because right. of the AAU circuit and, getting in those gyms and, and and playing playing basketball on the same size court on the same size hoop obviously uh with football your your uh your program could be completely different than another team's program your offense could be different you know the way you play defense so you may be recruiting slightly different than your peers based on what your what your uh, scheme is on on both sides of the ball so certainly, you know, I always point to Alabama. People are like, Alabama, it's so easy to recruit at Alabama. You know, they can get whoever they want. They absolutely can. get They can get darn near who they want. So the problem with that is, is that, you know, they could – their consistency is a – their consistency on the field is a credit to the way that they identify players and develop them because they, they, they turn away good players. Yeah. You know, they make hard decisions on guys, and uh, you know you're as a college football coach. No matter what program you are, you're looking for guys that fit what you do schematically, and then fit what you do culturally. And uh, just because a guy's a good player doesn't mean he checks either of those boxes. You know, so um, I, I think Coach Painter's correct that you know the the teams that are the most successful are the ones that are the best at ide- identifying what they're looking for in their position rooms for their offense or for their defense, and then just their personality and how it's going to fit in their culture. And certainly from there, you got to, de- you got to develop and, and uh, 
um, you know, coach them up and put them in the right spots on Saturdays, which is, you know, all of that's hard to do. Every, every bit of that is, is extremely hard to do. You can recruit a great class, uh, but you might suck at developing them or, or scheming them right. You know, so, um, you know, at Alabama, they've certainly proven that they're, they're, they're good at building you up and putting you in the right places to be successful. And if you're committed to their program, there's a good chance that you're going to come out the other side of draft pick. So I think there was a stat right before the national championship game that Georgia and Alabama, I think respectively had 21 and 19 five stars on their current roster. So recruiting matters. And I was like, yo, yeah, you know, for people that say recruiting doesn't matter. Recruiting rankings, excuse me. Exactly. So for me, I looked at that and I said, look, hopefully there are some smart coaches at other programs that might be on the second tier or the third tier as far as their programs right now that are not trying to get the same numbers, but rather maybe trying to get to that seven, eight, nine and maybe make sure that they get two or three more difference makers to try and close the gap. Because I just, at this point, the way Nick Saban is going, I don't see anything stopping him other than retirement from a recruiting standpoint. Well, if you look at Georgia, I mean, you know, in 2016, which really isn't that long ago, they won eight football games. You know, that was Kirby Smart's first year replacing Mark Rick to, you know, won 10, 10 games two years prior in eight years, in eight to three years before that, that's not the standard for Georgia football that they wanted to live by. They wanted to be a championship program. And, uh, you know, the hardest thing to do in college football is to trim those final strokes and go from 10, 11 wins to 13 and 14 and win the national championship. But Kirby Smart obviously elevated that program to that realm with the way he recruits with the way they identify athletes, the way they develop and coach and scheme and, and, and play on, on Saturdays. But it starts with recruiting. They don't take any days off. They have a ton of they, – they get prospects on campus numerous times. The head coach is always available. He's always building a report with these guys. It's, you know, the, the assistants, it, it, it's, it's uh, expected of them to be good recruiters. And with that, you saw Georgia go from – a team that was shooting 70, 69 on the course to now they can go out and get 65, 64, 65, 66 and win the tournament. And uh, it's not easy to get from, you know, it's easy to go from 80 to 70, but it, it, it's hard to go from 10, 11 wins to 13, 14. That's, you know, there's only a few programs capable of that year in and year out. So basically you equate them to going from playing par golf to no, you know, playing better than par golf. They were saying they went from uh, par golf a little bit better than par golf under Mark Rick, but then you know. No, no getting, I mean under, under Mark Rick, they were you know a top fifteen program, but they were not in the top five. There you go. That's that's well taken. Point taken. And they, they were good. They had yeah. NFL players. They could win a lot of their games. Yeah. They weren't a legit championship contender. They did. They didn't have the extra. They didn't have the extra players. Yeah. You know, and I think that recruiting, if you're a team that's recruiting at a championship level, you're probably getting two to four more difference makers than the schools that aren't each cycle. Mm. And then you add that up over four cycles, be anywhere from 16 to 20 players on your roster. Yo, that's, and that's a lot of depth. It's a lot of talent. 
Yeah, that's simply put. So now that I think about it, you know, they say the short game is what wins championships on the golf course, right? Most people want to stand on the tee and hit the ball 300 yards, and then they get the ball up there and they go back and forth across the green, and next thing you know, they have five extra strokes on their scorecard. And you always can't get within three feet to the hole, right? So recruiting seems like those programs that can make consistently make the 10-footer, you know, to get birdies and stack up a better score, trying to go back to what you previously said, those two to four, two to four guys every cycle, the programs that can consistently do that, those are the teams that end up being those top five programs that you that you're speaking of. The programs that consistently identify difference makers, the the programs that do a good job of maintaining a certain level of depth across the board, you know, and then beyond that, good strength and conditioning, player development, you know, coaching yeah. certainly are all big, you know, big factors too, but it starts with recruiting. You look at Alabama, Nick Saban, he's involved in the evaluation process of all the kids they take. I mean, I don't think there's a college head coach that watches more film than Nick Saban. Now he might not be on the phone as much as Kirby Smart or Lincoln Riley or Ryan Day or some of those guys that are considered the nine inning guys, but he's nine inning guy in his own way, you know, and I'm not saying that those other guys aren't watching a lot of film either. I'm just saying like there's different approaches that work that make you a national title contender. But the one thing that's consistent with those head coaches is the amount of attention that they put on recruiting in their own way. Yeah, because right after the national championship game at the press conference, Kirby Smart is immediately talking about he has to get on a helicopter the next day and go recruit. And Oregon's or, and, and his defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, he's on the phone hitting up top targets for Oregon to close out that 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 process. He's still wearing a Georgia polo shirt. The confetti's coming down, and Dan Lanning's talking to Oregon targets because he's going to capitalize on that momentum. Yeah. And, and it worked. They landed this this top uh, 100 corner, Jaleel Florence. They beat USC out for him and got him in the fold. You know, Dan Lanning's on the phone with him inside Lucas Oil Stadium. It's three hours earlier in California. He's talking to him, getting it done. And you know, Dan Lanning was a big part of helping Georgia you know, build into a national title contender. And he's not going to cheat the process at Oregon. You know, neither did neither did Mario Cristobal, obviously, with the with the three top 10 classes. You know, we'll see if 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 Oregon under this new regime under Coach Dan Lanning, you know, can can scheme their way into a couple more wins here. What are your thoughts? I know we love to be entertained on Saturday afternoons by all of these great athletes, but at the end of the day, we all hope that they get an education and can build a foundation for the rest of their life, even after their playing days. The volatility of recruiting and including the transfer portal now, the volatility of roster movement. Is it the best thing for college athletics right now, or do you think there should be some changes made? Well, I just – I don't know, you know, if these – all these rule changes are always put in place, and the people that, like, make the decisions, you know, are the athletic directors, and 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 ultimately they're talking to their coaches. And all these rule changes benefit the haves, you know, and, and because it's well thought out by the haves. Yeah. So, um, but with, with, it doesn't always necessarily benefit the student athlete, even though on the surface, it seems like it does. 
you know, but what I would, what I would say is, is that, um, you know, I think that kids that come into college to play sports, they have the upper hand in life to be upper middle class over the average student that comes in if they do it right. Yeah. If they come into the school and they're able to, you know, be a good person, network with some people, you know, put themselves in position to fall back on something. If, if football, you know, if they don't make it to Sunday, you know, they, 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 you know, people want to hire athletes, yeah. particularly former football players and basketball players that are, you know, high profile. Those are, and, and oftentimes athletes bring great confidence, great teamwork into whatever your business is. Um, and, 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 uh, dedicated people, you know, it takes a lot of hard work to be a division one athlete. So you channel that competitive nature, uh, into something else. It, it, it tends to work out. And, but, but unfortunately, Sean, some, there's sometimes schools that don't give these young men good academic support. Mm. You know? So, so they're not coming out the other side with the degree Yeah, you know? and they're not doing a good job of networking on campus and building relationships that are going to allow them to make six figures easily regardless of if they make it to being a professional athlete or not, you know? And so um, I think that that's something that goes under the radar a little bit um, when kids are looking at schools, it's, you know, I'm going to go to a place that's developed this many, you know, developed this guy or, or, or played for this and overlooked an overlooked piece of data sometimes is the graduation rate and uh, particularly the minority graduation rate. You know, and, and so I think that those are things that, you know, people could consider more because, again, I, I think that you're going into these colleges, you have a, you, you kind of have the world by the balls, you know, um, now different young men come from different situations, but you have a chance when you go to one of these schools to rewrite your fortunes. Yeah. If you need totally agree with you. Maintain them. Yeah, totally agree with you. Steve Wilfunk, 247 Sports, right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. I'm Sean Davis at SD2 Mics. Subscribe, share, and like. More than anything, smash that like button. Steve, in your travels, thank you. We appreciate it. In your travels, who were the three guys that you immediately saw and said, oh, my God, he's a dude? Oh man, my recall is not as good as some of my peers. You know, obviously Jadavian Clowney in high school was a different different kind of person. You know, I mean, he was unbelievable. Um, you know, even like Terrell Pryor was such a dominant player out of Jeanette, Pennsylvania. I remember yeah. seeing him at the All America Bowl, and he was just on another level. I mean, he obviously went to Ohio State and was a, was a, a really good college quarterback played receiver in the NFL. He could have been a great edge rusher. He could have been anything he wanted. I mean, he was just, he was just so unique. So Terrell Pryor comes to mind, you know, uh, um, man, I don't know. My four-year-old keeps turning the light on and off over there too. Um, but uh, uh, there's just been so many great players, you know, Trevor Lawrence was as good a, a good a high school quarterback that I saw with his ability to, within his system at his high school and just know where to always go with the football accurately and consistently. I mean, he was such a dominant player. 
on the high school level. What was your evaluation in that cycle between him and Justin Fields coming from the same state? Well, they both were obviously ranked extremely high. I think at that time you looked at Justin Fields and you're like, this guy could be the next Deshaun Watson, you know, with his ability to be a game breaker with his legs. I mean, Justin Fields ran like four or five on the laser 40 yard dash. Uh, that's that spring at an opening regional. And you're like, man, I mean, so, um, and then he was terrific in those camps uh, going into senior year. Um, and obviously it was a great prospect. Went to Ohio state, led him to the national title game and got drafted in the first round. And uh, when, when you were kind of splitting hairs on them and Trevor Lawrence's body of work over the course of four years, uh, Justin didn't even start till his I know he replaced Lorenzo Nunez, who went to South Carolina and, and, and ultimately changed positions at South Carolina. So Justin Justin was a later starter, but he was a freak athlete, a freak athletic ability, um, and, and a tremendous competitor. Um, but Trevor, just you know, when you're splitting hairs on some of these elite guys, I mean, just you know, always had a high completion percentage, always threw touchdowns, rarely turned the ball over, won a couple state titles. You know, and then obviously he was ready to go at Clemson to lead them to the promised land. You know, I mean, that's hard for a true freshman to do what he did. You, know, you don't see that too often. You see true freshmen play and make an impact. Trevor Lawrence played as a true freshman and took them, you know, helped them get all the way to the national title game, you know. And so uh, he was he was pretty unique for for the quarterback position. I'll tell you, he was ext- you know, I haven't seen a running back that gift, as gifted as the one that Ohio State has right now than Travion Henderson. And uh, he didn't play his senior year because of COVID, but his junior year was unbelievable. And he could have been a five-star safety and, and, and schools originally were recruiting him as a defensive back, but elite speed. And then all the intangibles for Travion Henderson too, besides his size and, 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 and speed and, and ability is he's, he's a straight A student just has, he's got everything in a row there. And uh, he's, he's a special player and, yeah, I would imagine he'll be on some Heisman lists this year alongside his quarterback, C.J. Stroud. Yo, Notre Dame fans are not looking forward to facing that duo first week in the 2022 season. Ohio State's loaded, man. It's more they, than to do, too. They really are. And, Steve, I go back to that Rose Bowl game. You know, we got through watching the Notre Dame game, and I turned over to the Rose Bowl, and I'm saying to myself, like, wow, this game is just strange. I can't believe. Ohio State is this flat, and then all of a sudden, it's almost like they had this switch, and they just hit it, and there was nothing Utah could do, you know. Well, they got to get some things in order on defense there in Columbus, and they made some coaching changes there. Yeah. But their kids uh, on defense in that game rallied after a dismal first-half performance, and then their offense, I mean, it's – you know, they have maybe receiver one and receiver two in this year's draft. They eventually have RB1 in the draft. They may have eventual QB1 in the draft. Yeah. You know, they got some pros on the O-line, pros in the tight end room. I mean, that's high octane. They got future first-round receivers coming up the pipeline here. It's uh, it's well-oiled there. And so, you know, for, for Ohio State, you're excited to get Coach Knowles in there uh, from Oklahoma State and see if he can get you playing more consistent on defense against the better teams on your schedule, because obviously they didn't have any answers against Michigan. You know, Michigan really lit them up on the perimeter and uh, Ohio state's athletic. They just, you know, schematically weren't prepared to 
stop a Michigan team that was, you know, it was their day. Yeah, I think Jim Knowles definitely showed in the Fiesta Bowl that he can always make adjustments, in-game adjustments. He did that against Notre Dame, and Notre Dame was never able to recover. Hopefully Ohio State gets that, and like you said, they're able to put up a better fight against Michigan. But I want to move over to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, his tenure at Notre Dame, very successful. Very yeah. successful. You know, a lot of people are upset with you know, performances and big games and things of that nature. But what the program was when he took over and the condition he left it in, the fan base has to be appreciative and happy with where they are now, where Marcus Freeman takes over. My question to you is, what was the narrative nationally or even regionally about Notre Dame when Brian Kelly took over in comparison to what you're hearing now? Well, I think when Brian Kelly got hired from Cincinnati, everyone deemed it a home run hire. You know what I mean? And then I think in this first game, they lost to South Florida during a lightning delay, if I remember correctly. And they, you know, they went, they went eight and five as his first year. Um, or they went eight and five his first two years at Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, but he recruited some good classes and they were in the BCS title game his third year. Um, then I think. I think he kind of lost his edge for a few years. Four and eight was a was a wake up call, and he showed what kind of competitor he was because he could have. I mean, he's got he could have retired theoretically, you know, like finished out the string, got fired after the next year, and gone into TV, you know, and and uh, um, had a great life. But I mean, he made some some tough coaching decisions. Um, the strength coach was a, a close friend of his, moved him. Uh, got rid of his OC, got rid of his DC. Yeah. I'm not so sure that uh, the OC thing was necessary, but certainly on defense it was. And uh, you know they go they go ten and three, twelve and one, eleven and two, ten and two, eleven and two, or something like that. And uh, um, you know playing two title games, playing playing two college football playoffs, playing two more New Year's Six bowls. I think that's a hell of a run. But yeah. back to what we talked about earlier. You know, they're shooting 68, 67, but they're, you know, it's hard to trim another stroke or two when yeah. you're that good. It's extremely hard. And I don't know, I, you know, I'm nitpicking from the, uh, I'm nitpicking from the spot of Notre Dame was really good. And I actually think that they were even lining up to be better under Brian, like Brian Kelly, I think his best years were even potentially ahead of him at Notre Dame the way that they were really starting to recruit and, and, and some of the hires he made on his staff. So his story could have continued, but based on what we know and, and looking at it in hindsight, I think coach Kelly left to left a player or two out there a year because I don't think he went as hard on the trail as, as, as a couple other guys. And that adds up to four to eight players on your roster over four years. And maybe that's, Maybe they have a little more speed at wideout when they're in the playoff a couple years ago, and that was a deficient room, you know, when they lost to Clemson the second time, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I think that Brian Kelly proved he could get championship-level players in every room at Notre Dame. It just, you know, it never lined up at the same time yeah. for them to go out there and, 
win that semifinal or win that title game, but they were certainly under Brian Kelly, a bona fide top 10 team and maybe, and, and, and maybe like in the number five slot or four slot, you know, but uh, I don't know if they were ever like a real potential title winner. What are your thoughts about, I had Brent, we had Brandon Wimbush on the show yesterday. He gave his thoughts, but what are your thoughts about the quarterback room and Notre Dame? There have been, a lot of flash in the pants where you see kids, they look good. You think they're going to take the next step. And then the word regression comes into the conversation under Brian Kelly. And is that a part of the kids that they're recruiting or it, was it more to it with, you know, multiple offensive coordinators and maybe not being as aggressive or as forward thinking offensively and as innovative, maybe as they should have been. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? So again, nitpicking because they obviously had a lot of success. Um, and we're talking from the vantage point of why didn't they win a national title for the first time since 1988. Right. Um, because they had a lot of bit, they had a lot of success. So uh, keeping that in mind, you know, I, I think that Notre Dame could recruit the quarterback position better um, compared to the way they've recruited other rooms. You know, um, they haven't, you know, every other room they've had guys that have heard their names called early in the draft, guys that were all American caliber players, um, guys that were difference makers. Um, but at quarterback, it's been tough sledding. Um, they haven't really been in the mix for a guy you know, Deshaun Kaiser was a was a good recruiting win, and so was Brandon Wimbush. Um, but I, you know, you look at the the roster now. Um, even um, Tyler Buckner was a guy that they committed to early and committed. Who knows what his process would have been? But when Notre Dame committed him, he hadn't even played a varsity. He he had played just one varsity game and got hurt, or I'm misremembering it. And his, so Notre Dame, Notre Dame. Uh, you know, the the Pine kid, Brandon Walker, the the uh, the Brendan, uh, he's at Old Dominion now. Yeah, he uh, transferred. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brendan I mean, Clark. Got the, like this is Notre Dame, man. I yeah. mean, like, like these are you know, like we should. If you're Notre Dame, it's like we should be getting, we should be getting the guys. Like we should be, I'm not saying every year. But we should beat Clemson and, and Alabama for a quarterback one year or a, yeah. like this is, you know, we're playing in all we're playing in important games over here, too. Um, and and uh, so I, I would I, I think that, uh, you know, I mean, you look at I mean, you look at that team that won 10 games the first the year after four and eight. Right. That offense was loaded. Yeah. I mean, that team was built to, you know. I know they were coming off four and eight. That offense had, you know, so many pros on it. Um, you know, the McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson and, and, and bars and, and uh, you know, I know I'm forgetting some guys with the, the wideout room. You had St. Brown Boykin um, and uh, Claypool was in there. The tight end rooms always loaded running back room. You had Dexter and, and uh, you had Theo or no, you didn't have Theo. Theo was on the first title game, but you had uh uh, Dexter and you had Josh Adams who played meaningful downs in the in, in the NFL and, and young Tony Jones yeah 
So, I mean, like they had enough talent, you know, but you look at, you know, the, it was a brand new offensive coordinator that never been a play caller before that's learning on the job at a place like Notre Dame. And, and they, you're telling me an offense that loaded can't score more points against Georgia in that home game loss at night. I mean, you know, that was just having a young coach out there that just didn't get, you know, didn't, didn't scheme it up. Right. In my opinion, you know, based on what he had in his deck. Right. Cause that, that, that deck was stacked, you know, and I'm, you know, I think, you know, was Wimbush the starter in that game or, or. Yeah. Wimbush was the starter in that game. Yeah. They had the lead in the fourth quarter. Georgia took the lead and then they just. They had the lead in the fourth quarter, but that, you know, they weren't scoring points. Right. You know, it was in the teens. Yeah. Big from starting his first game for Georgia, if I remember correctly. So he was, I mean, like, so Notre Dame, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I, I love their approach at quarterback recruiting this cycle. Cause you know, here's, here's coach Reese who did not quarterback recruiting. In my opinion, you know, you look at the last cycle and they, they signed Angeli and that was a guy that they offered early. But I think that Drew Aller's like the guy that you would want, right? And right. they offered him late. And uh, I think that they had him on the radar, though, and they didn't go for whatever for whatever the reason. I think that Coach Reese is a self-aware man. They got you know they got like six or seven offers out to quarterbacks, yeah, and they're not necessarily recruiting them all anymore, you know. But it's like, hey, you got some promise. We're offering, we're in the game early. And then eventually we make some tough decisions down the road. And this is who we're zeroed in on now. You know, it's because we're Notre Dame. We can do that. Yeah. You know? it's, uh, and, and so I think the way Notre Dame's recruiting the quarterback position, this cycle is as good as I've seen them recruit it in a long time. And I think it's because of the approach and the balls to like say, you know what, like Notre Dame offering Ty Simpson late last year, you know, not saying they would have got him. He went to Alabama. But it's like, you know, Ty Simpson, everybody knew he was good for a long time. You know, like, so I think this time around, Notre Dame's in the game on everybody good early. And they have a big leg to stand on with what they've done, with what that program can do for NIL. And now you got, they're in the mix. They're yeah. square. Notre Dame is squarely near the top of the list for two of the elite guys in the country, uh, Dante Moore and Christopher Vizina. And they were for Jackson Arnold, who's committed to Oklahoma. Now, you're not going to get them all, but that's what I just said there is way better than anything that happened in the cycle prior. And that's because I think that Notre Dame has adjusted their approach. And so they didn't get Jackson Arnold, but they were way in it. I think they have a great shot to get Dante Moore. And with that, I don't, you know, Vizina, that's, you know, that's, you know, Vizina probably goes elsewhere, but they're like right there with him if they're not in a great spot for Dante Moore, in my opinion. And that's awesome. And they already have the number one class in the country on 24-7 sports without a quarterback in the fold yet. So yeah. that's incredible as well. I hope Notre Dame fans are encouraged by that because, Steve, I've been telling them to just relax, let it play out when it comes to the quarterbacks. I've been telling them from all of the prospects I've talked to, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you just mentioned it. Tommy Reese has done a fantastic job establishing relationships with the top guys. You give a guy like Harry Heastan, who comes in and he immediately makes an impact. I know Charles Jagasaw loves him. I've had a couple of conversations with him. He loves Harry Heastan. Talk about the staff, because you pointed out 
your staff, and that's one of the things that Kirby Smart changed. Everybody on the staff had to be great at recruiting. It seems like Marcus Freeman has done the same thing in establishing or building the staff he has right now. What are your thoughts on the staff that he's built, and how do you think it plays out over the long run? Because I use this analogy. For a long time, Dabo, Kirby, and Nick were the only ones at the big boy table, at the poker table. They're the only ones. Everybody was outside at the smaller tables. And it seems like Marcus Freeman just dared to go take a seat at the big boy table and, and was willing to buy in. Whatever the buy-in was, he was willing to make the buy-in and sit next to those guys on the recruiting trip. Well, I think when, when Coach Freeman first got to Notre Dame, he was like, we're going to recruit the best defensive players in the country. We don't care who they are, where they're from, or who they're looking at. Yeah. We have something that we can offer them that would make – that should make them interested in Notre Dame. Like coach Freeman genuinely believes in what Notre Dame brings to a young man. And uh, I mean, Tyson Ford's uh, an all, an all American bull participant who, when Marcus Freeman got the job that Tyson Ford was basically a silent commit to Oklahoma and was going to announce his decision at the Sooners two conversations later with Marcus Freeman, he's playing for the Irish and part of a key top 10 class that they had this cycle. So that's the mentality that he brings to the trail. Now, let me go real quick. Brian Kelly, they recruited good players under Brian Kelly, obviously. They yeah. were a team that was damn good. They had a lot of pros. They you know, they knew how to develop players. They have a great Notre Dame strength and conditioning is off the charts. They scheme you up and put you in a good place to be successful. He's had, a, he's had good coaches under him. And Brian Kelly in the living room is second to none. I mean, that is a guy that, could really be eloquent in his message to recruits and why Notre Dame was the right place. And uh, Brian Kelly's actually kind of, is a good dude. Like when you're around him, he's he's a fun guy. He's not this stiff, straight like like uh, uh, you know he's not what he's perceived to be. He can be laid back and and uh, people like him. It's just he didn't instinctually attack the recruiting trail like Coach Freeman is and like. So Coach Freeman doesn't need to be asked to do anything regarding recruiting. It's in his nature. He wants to be part of it. And so with that, that's going to set the tone for the rest of the staff on the trail. So we know that Notre Dame is going to recruit at a high level under Coach Freeman. The question mark with Coach Freeman is now going to be on Saturdays. Like we knew Notre Dame was generally, Notre Dame was going to be generally prepared to play every Saturday under Brian yeah. Kelly. They were going to have a good game plan. You know, they were going to have good players and, and, and uh, you know, almost every Saturday they were going to have a good chance to win. Um, you know, under Coach Freeman, we know that he's going to recruit his ass off and he is qualified for this job that he got. Like it was his time to get it. But we, you know, now we'll see, you know, we'll see how he responds to that moving forward. That's obviously an unknown, him making sure, you know, they're on message every day and, you know, that the program's doing what it's supposed to do to, you know, compete with Ohio State in the opener and, and beyond. One of the coolest things I saw when I went down to South Bend for the coaches' breakout sessions that they had about three weeks ago, Al Washington was the last coach, and he was surrounded by the media. And everybody was laughing and asking him questions. And I look over in the corner, and it's Chris O'Leary, Mike Mickens, and – Marcus Freeman. And someone asked another question, and Marcus Freeman says, Hey, we got defensive linemen to recruit. Let's go. 
and the media starts laughing and I'm looking at him. I'm like, I kind of think he's serious right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he wants you guys to have access, but he's ready to go because every moment and every question he feels like is one less phone call that needs to be made to the best recruits on that D line. So for me, that was like an inside look to the mentality he has. Like, all right, look, it's time to go. We have work to do. And I told Notre Dame fans, that was something that made me very happy about the direction of this staff and him leading the way. He's always said that he wants to be the lead recruiter and the best recruiter on the staff. Well, one thing that Luke Fickle said when I went and visited him early in the Cincinnati tenure that has stayed with me is any staff that he's ever been on, the head coach has been the best recruiter in their own way, Coach Tressel, Coach Meyer. So that's what he wants to be at Cincinnati. And obviously we all heard Coach Freeman say he wants to be the lead recruiter on everybody. I mean, that's not – I mean, I don't know how realistic that is, but all he has to do is be a presence and have a genuine relationship with each top target. You know, he's still – those assistants and the off-field staff are still getting paid to do their job also. And, right. you know, and, and, and uh, again, I think the tone is, is set with Coach Freeman at the top, and he's going to be involved recruiting everybody from Dante Moore in the quarterback room to – whoever their top remaining target is in the DB room, Christian Gray or, or, or Malik Muhammad or whoever it is. So, again, Notre Dame's effort on the trail is as high as I've ever seen it. Um, and I've been around that program for a long time, um, you know, but we'll see what this staff can do uh, when the NBC lights are shining on them on Saturday. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm excited about this group, and I'm excited about Coach Freeman and, and his opportunity to – you know, go to Notre Dame and, and and really, you know, he's got a chance to do something special, you know, and uh, be really remembered um, for all time. That's the kind of job you get at Notre Dame and, and the stakes that are in the mix. Steve Wilkfong from 24-7 Sports joins us right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Steve, what do you remember about the recruitment of this dude right here? You know, uh, what's up, <laughs> how you doing? What's up, baby? It's been so long. I know, man. I remember back in the day, you would have to uh, tell us you got offers, you know. So yeah. Oh, man. That's when the real work was put into recruiting. You know, yeah. social media has made it easy. Like, your job was a lot easier then. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I just for the kicks, I, I typed my Twitter handle and your name in on search right before I went on the show. And I reported your Alabama offer. I talked to you after you committed to Notre Dame. I talked to you after an Ohio State visit. There were just some, some, you know, top 100 quarterback Malik Zaire is looking at Ohio State differently following today's visit. You know, see, that's real gems. That's how you know we go back way, way, way in the beginning. Zaire is excited about his offer from Notre Dame. Talks Irish here, February 20th, 2012. Um, you, you know, Arizona offered a couple of days after that, you know, and, uh, you didn't take long to commit to Notre Dame, though, a little over a month. And, uh, you know, had that, had that story, and, you know, I think – and then you move on to the next recruit in my job, you know. Yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, you were just one after another after that, and then you took off. But I know recruiting, like we talked about, was different then than now. But with this NIL, have you seen it change just your, your impact on even writing stories? Because if you think about it, like, you damn near can't even write a – solid recruiting story without adding an NIL piece to it. Well, the funny thing about NIL um, is that like the recruiting rankings can dictate a young man's worth sometimes. 
and <laughs> and uh, but it may not be accurate to who the best player like Saquon Barkley. We had ranked like number eighty-eight. You know what I'm saying? Like, which was a good ranking, like top one hundred. We think you're awesome, but dude was the most was the best, most marketable player in college football. You know, by the time he got done, so. The NIL money, who knows who it would have went to that cycle, but I bet Saquon Barkley's NIL money wouldn't have been right. You know, so it, it's just kind of interesting to me. Like, 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 I was having this conversation with an offensive coordinator, uh, a high-profile offensive coordinator earlier that's like, you got a quarterback out there getting an NIL deal. He's in high school, and an NIL deal is getting put together for, you know, a million over a million dollars for this young man to go to your school. Now, what if you're already on the what if you're already on the roster, or you're even in the recruiting class before and you didn't get an NIL deal? Yeah, I mean, I'm packing my shit. I'm packing my stuff up. Like I'm not playing. Like no. this guy, this like like what? So there's just so many interesting. Like I could take this conversation a million different ways, but it's like, you know, the quarterbacks on your team aren't getting a million dollars in NIL. No. You know. Um, uh, and so, well, maybe like a couple of them are about to, like CJ Stroud. I don't know what his worth's going to be. You know, I think he's got a chance to be QB one in the draft down the road. So, good kid that I would think is extremely marketable with his personality and stuff. You know, but it's just I'm waiting for the NIL market to kind of correct itself a little bit, and it feeds into the college players a little more than the high school players. Yeah. But right now, everybody's just going crazy because it's out there and it's available and. People are looking to make their investments, but uh, it's like, you know, we ranked Quinn Ewers, the number one player in the country at 24 seven sports. If he was the number eight player instead of number one, which is still an elite ranking, would he have gotten that those NIL deals to go to Ohio state and all that? And, uh, you know, I'm not saying he would or wouldn't, I'm just, you know, you but know, that matters. I, that matters think, a lot. I think it's. I think it is relevant to, you know, NIL and recruiting rankings. You know, your potential. Uh, I mean, it's changed. It's changed with, especially look at a guy like Bryce Young, and and the fact that he was getting the million dollar NIL deals before taking a snap, and but now he, he at least was at Bama and showed promise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, and. And he's, you know, he's a very marketable athlete that's yeah. doing it on the biggest stage. And so even if like you bring it, even if Ty Simpson, their true freshman quarterback, got an NIL package put together for a million, at least the guy in the program's already at a million too. <laughs> like, it's a valuable you know, QB room. <laughs> or whatever, or whatever, Bryce. Is. We're getting, you're seeing NIL packages for kids that haven't made a play on Saturday they're getting more than the young men that are already in the program that got the name in the paper for doing something and helping you win a game. Yeah. It's, I'm not it, a hater. Like, I want everybody to get it. I'm it's gonna, hard not to be a hater, but you got to be a hater. Well, I'm not, no, I'm excited for these kids getting their NIL deals, too. I just think it's – like, how's it going to impact the culture of your program and things? Because, again, I would think that the guys that are really deserving the big bucks are the ones that are starring on Saturday – yeah, and, you know the players that should be there should be nil for if I'm watching ABC and it's like the night game is Alabama and Georgia and you got Bryce Young's picture, you got Stetson Bennett's picture, they're promoting that game for you. Yeah, 
you know, what's yeah. a collect- there needs to be some kind of collective bargaining agreement where these players are getting paid to you're put, you're blasting me on every commercial. Here I am. Watch Alabama tonight. Bryce Young fist pump as you know, and, and, and yeah, that's, that's got to get paid for it. You know, he's promote you're promoting the game through Bryce Young. Like there should be that's where I think like the money should be coming. Like, like NIL, like that's how I view the real NIL is like the players, your, your team is part of a conference that's playing on plays all their home games or or plays the majority of their games on ESPN. So there you get, you're getting money. ESPN is funneling some of that or, or the conference is funneling some of that profit to the players. Yeah. You know, the big 12 or whoever, not not ESPN. I mean, NBC could do an exclusive deal ESPN with no the money to the conference to have the rights. Yeah. So that money, the conference distributes that money to the schools. The players should get some sort of cut of, you know, I'm I'm not saying they should get the big. There's people that are orchestrating the deals that should get. They're the one, you know what I'm saying. But the players, and particularly the high profile ones promoting the game for you, should get get a little. Cut. Something, something, something. Well, Steve, we thank you so much for giving us a piece of your time on this busy Friday afternoon. Go follow Steve Wilfong at SWilfong247. Steve Wilfong for 24-7 Sports. Thank you for joining the Lucky Lefty. Malik, what an awesome open concept you got behind you there at your house, man. I want to come over there and drink a bourbon. Yeah, come, please come. Come get some Anora and play the piano with me back here, and uh, we got to have a good time. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, good to see you doing well, Sean. Great to reconnect with you guys. Thanks for having me on, man. It was fun talking about this stuff. And y'all take care and, you know, have a good one and a good weekend. You too. Same to you. That's Steve Wilfong, 24-7 Sports, right here on the Lucky Lefty Podcast. Great information. Confirmed what you've been saying since December. Yep. That Notre Dame is in great position. Great position. For Dante Moore. He also talked about Notre Dame not doing a good job recruiting the quarterback position no. for years. <laughs> and he talked about a problem with development in the quarterback room. Yeah. He said, in his opinion, the 2017 team, I wish you had been on when he said this, the 2017 team was talented enough to compete with Clemson but they just didn't have the difference makers. No, they didn't have the screen poppers. Sure yeah. coming soon, by the way. He sure. basically said, you're a big time program and a legit championship team when you get two to four more screen poppers per recruiting class than everybody else. Oh, okay, that's the magic number, two to and three more. He said, forget all the rankings. Yeah. Said the people that can identify the screen poppers immediately and get two to three more than everybody else every recruiting cycle, those are the ones. Because remember, when Clemson did make their run, their recruiting rankings were like 10, 11, yeah. 13. They weren't top five. They were kind of lackluster. But they were getting screen poppers, though. Yeah, that's the difference. You get the screen poppers. You can try to close the gap. You might not get the quantity as far as five. You get a guy like Hunter Renfro. Hey, he ended up being a he ended up being a screen popper. You know, yeah. what I mean? like who knew? 
Yeah, he's putting in work in the pros too. <laughs> Cooper Cup style. Man, putting in work. So we gave the three things that Marcus Freeman needs to do and identify this spring on yesterday. And he spoke very highly of the staff that Marcus Freeman has put together. And he said the first key that lets you know Marcus Freeman's mentality of what he wanted to do and what he would be as a head coach is that immediately when he got to Notre Dame, his first words were, we're going to recruit the best defensive players in the country. Yeah. As if that wasn't being done at Notre Dame. He knows because he was been there for a year. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta really listen in to what Marcus Freeman is saying because he's been there. Yeah. You know, he ain't just come like Ohio State's new defensive coordinator, come from Oklahoma State into a new environment. He's got a chance to sit in those meetings, sit it around the area, sit in the program, sit in those uh recruiting meetings and be and see what's going on. So when he goes up there and starts addressing stuff first day, that's probably something he's been thinking about for a minute. Yeah, he was probably and looking at his linebacker room like, <laughs> "Yo, shout out to the best in the country." <laughs> shout out to LL Nation having my back. Um, Jim Knowles did not coach in the Fiesta Bowl. I made that mistake. His last game was actually the Big Twelve Championship game. He yeah. made great adjustments defensively in that game as well because Baylor was on a roll. Yeah, in the first half. He made adjustments to get them back in that game. By that time, Fiesta Bowl, he had left to go on to Ohio State. Steve was, man, he, you know, Steve really doesn't smile a lot. No. <laughs> poker face. But he started talking about the Ohio State offense. Oh, I know he was glowing. I know yo, he was glowing. He was like, yo, they might have the number one running back in a couple of years on the draft board. <laughs> They might have QB one next year. They might. They definitely had a top two wide receivers on the yeah. draft board next year. And he's talking, and I'm saying to myself, you know, I have to encourage myself to say, I'm still gonna talk that ish. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like Steve, Steve is trying to he, get you off the to right a guy in Columbus that you got to talk to anyway because we're gonna right. beat it. Right. It's just the guy in Columbus we talking right. to. Steve is trying to get me to back off right now, but I refuse to back off. I'm still going to the bus, and I'm still talking that thing. Uh, I don't care. I don't care. I hear what you're saying, Steve, about yeah, that offense. Yeah, it's, not, it's obvious. They yeah. got him. They, we yeah. see him. They put up 50 points on just throwing a rock around. One guy at 300 yards. He's going to be a Belitnikov guy. We got it. Yeah, yeah. But, but we got some guys, too. They have mouths too. You know what that yeah. means? If they have a mouth, they can get punched in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Last I checked, they had they had this little slit at the bottom of their face, and we yeah. can punch them right in it and see what they got. And as long as they got belly buttons, that means they human too. They just like us. If they got belly buttons, that we all the same. Here we go. Facts. So for the Culture <laughs> Friday, the link is in the chat. The link is in the chat. Get at us. Link in the chat. In the chat. Get at us any question that you have. It's Friday. It's for the culture. Let us know. We'll try and answer it. Bro, I woke up this morning. I got excited because I saw the butcher was coming. And I said, <laughs> oh, I got something to listen to today. I got yeah, I like that. I like to Dirk's out today. Dirk's out today. 
Danny the Butcher, it's a great day for your great musical day. pleasure. Great day. Something to listen to, something to listen to on that flight over here, man. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Colin Park. Breaking news while we were doing the podcast. What about Deshaun Watson? That is huge. Colin, once again, we spent it different. I've been telling you all that this was coming. Like the league knew. Nah, it's nothing serious with this case. People told us at the combine. Someone called me from the combine and said, yo, the deal's going to go down after the combine. What's the deal? Want to happen? Seahawks, Steelers, it's like three teams talking Seahawks. to the Texans right now. Oh, I don't, I don't like Deshaun at the Seattle. I don't like him in Seattle either. I just don't think unless they go. Would you like him in Tampa? I would. <sighs> now I would Man. like him in New Orleans. I would like him in New Orleans if Sean Payton didn't leave. Yeah, but right now all them teams don't seem like great options. What's the best offensive option out of them out of that group? Oh, it's the Steelers. If you're talking about a wide receiver core and a running back, it'd be the Steelers. But you think they would? The Steelers would be the, the best. The Steelers would be the best place to recover all uh, conflicted uh, black athletes in the NFL. They all go to. I'll go to let's, Pittsburgh. Let's be honest, because I know you have bias. You have a little bias. And once again, we put the link to the studio in the chat. If you want to jump in, chop it up with us, hit that link. We'll get you in. With bias, I need you to be unbiased, because I know you have a little bias when I'm about to about what I'm about to say. If Deshaun Watson indeed signs with the Steelers. He becomes the best quarterback in that division. It's debatable. It's debatable. The only other person you could say is Joe. That's it. We haven't we haven't seen him in a year though. How far off do you think he's? Been and I like. And I think I think Deshaun. Before he left, top three quarterback in the league, I definitely think he was. He was. He was on something. That'd Boy, be a better. I, I, in my opinion, that's a tougher division of quarterbacks than the Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Russell Wilson one. I like the Baker, Lamar, Joe, and potentially Deshaun. That's a heck of a division. That's a better division than the Pat Herbert. Yeah, that'd you might be, be right. You might be right. That's a heck of a division. You can leave Baker out though. Yeah, I'm yeah. Really Baker. Baker. <laughs> well, you can throw Carr out. You can throw Carr out if you throw Baker out. I mean, you know, that's cool. That's cool. That's, cool. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like taking the deuces out the deck for spades. That's all good with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all we did. We took the deuces out the deck. Yeah, that's all. That's all we got. That's all we got. But I do think that that's going to be, man, football is getting tough, man. That quarterback position getting hectic. It's a beautiful thing, though. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. Steve now was smiling when he was me. talking about, A. Hey, Steve started to, like, crack a smile when he started talking about Notre Dame and Dante Moore, too. Oh, I know. 
he he, 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 he knows he, something. He he started to crack a smile. I was like, all right, Steve, what you trying to say, brother? Hey, Dante Moore. He threw Gazina in on the back end. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, let me just to make sure people do. Yeah, just in case. But snagging a guy like Dante Moore, you talk about securing a clash for the next couple years. Yeah. The top five, because the impact will trickle down. You yeah. know. We keep saying this retention is going to be the key. Mm-hmm. Retention, because you, you've gotten off to a great start. You have to retain these guys. You have to retain a Peyton Bourne. You have to retain a Keon Keeley. You have to retain, you know, the number one class and then start adding to it, especially from an offensive standpoint. You have to to add to the class. And, yo, I don't know if you saw, there was an Alabama fan, LL Nation. Some of you guys saw some of you people reply. Appreciate you guys jumping in. He says, uh, Someone just sent me a YouTube or some media guy saying that Notre Dame, he thinks Notre Dame's going to have the number one recruiting class in December. And he was like, what do you all think? Talking to the Alabama fan base. And then at the end, he said, by the way, it was, and then he put in my Twitter handle. (laughs) So when I woke up, I saw it and I retweeted it. And I'm like, you act like I'm about to run. Yeah, no, I'm right here. Like I said what I said. Like, what's to it? What's to it? Who got a so problem I, with it? I ain't get the, no comments back. They got the looking and researching and saw. LL Nation jumped in though. That's LL right. Nation jumped in, like, yo, that's right. He said it, and I did. And I stand on it. Yo, we got Gene. Gene, what's good, man? How you feeling? What's cracking, y'all? What's cracking? How y'all out there? That's good, Gene. Just so you know, I started making my plans for Hawaii, bro. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what I like to hear, baby. That's what I like to hear. That's what's up, y'all. Hey, you're going to be out there hula hips and everything, man. That's all bang. Well, I got the motivation from you. I talked to the missus like, hey, we going. Hey. We going. Let's go. Hey, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot easier to get out there, too. You ain't got to go through all the mandates and everything, too. So you'll be straight once you get out there. So, yeah, you'll be good. Yo, Straight so up. what's on your mind this Friday? Well, first of all, Malik, that fro is, man, whew, boy, that boy, hey, nice. Man, I'll tell you what, man. That right. Do y'all think, y'all think that uh, Deshaun might be, I know that he got acquitted or whatever. Y'all think he might be a liability, though? Wherever he goes, there will be pushback. Because of the situation at first. But you know sports fans. Eventually, once he gets on the field and he starts to perform. Now, we said that. We said that about about Kaepernick, too, now. And my man's still out there working and still can't get. No, Kaepernick was a little bit different. Yeah, that was a little bit different. Deshaun, I think he's got. He's still a good guy. I don't think anybody is looking at. Deshaun and thinking his character issues are going to hold him back from helping the team win football games. If anything, they're looking more of a personal issue. They're like, man, you got to <laughs> just take care of your off the field a little bit better. But yeah. from a football perspective, teams are not worried. They're probably just anxious to be able to get into that room with them. But I just hope he gets into a good situation. I just think some of the teams that are on the list, they're not going to do him the justice. He'll be in another situation where he has to do everything and 
not be protected and he's getting older you know that's true that's true and if he hey if he goes to the seahawks i'm like eh. oh. yeah i hope I, I hope the people around him are better advisors than they are uh you know uh recommend that recommenders for uh massages you know <laughs> <laughs> i hope they do a better job at advising them than giving them recommendations Man, something, yeah, yeah, something's got to give, man. Something's got to give. I'm surprised he don't have just a personal one, like on call, like the one that always comes Bro, through. Like, don't they have multiple? That? Don't they have multiple staff members that do that for the team? Like, maybe know, that's man. like his. Maybe that's like his icebreaker. <laughs> but no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be serious, man. I'm trying to be serious. No, at the time he had a girlfriend, and I remember, and like, man, look, yo, just put him under the cap, huh? Man, man. Oh, that's hilarious! Don't go to Seattle, man. Just don't go to Seattle. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't want to give congratulations to him. But not be being criminally charged because something has taken place. Yeah. Whereas a lot, 21 women feel like they've been taken advantage of. So it's not a matter of congratulations, but yo, know, there is an NFL team that is going to get a very, very good quarterback and change their fortunes. So true that, true that, true that, true that. What's That's it what like out there? What's the weather like? Oh, so oh, uh, for us it's uh, what it's seventy right now, but it's supposed to uh, get up to like eighty-two tomorrow. Ooh, that's it's not like here. Well, I can't it's wait. Like eighty-two yeah. tomorrow. I can't wait to get out west. Eighty-four on Sunday. Um, we got this thing tomorrow that I'm doing uh, with the wife and everything. It's called the Aloha Festival in Arizona. So it's everybody that's Hawaiian, Polynesian, and everything else. We gonna be, be out in Tempe. It's gonna be like a ginormous luau, so we're gonna be out there the whole weekend. Oh, so wow, yeah. I know, like it's a lot of snow bunnies that come out there. Snowbirds. No, no snow bunnies and snowbirds. <laughs> I, know, I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, I got. Yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, I'm about to be like, yeah, snowbirds, snowbirds. <laughs> no, I, I know, I know what I'm saying. <laughs> I was about to go the spring break route. Okay. Arizona is a destination for spring break right about now. Yes, it is. Yes, yes it is. Yes. I was going to make the transition from snow bunnies to now that baseball is back in. Yes. Spring training starts next next week, so you'll get the snow bunnies and snowbirds. Yes. Yeah. Right. Arizona. So Let me yeah, be right. the point guard, bro. I told you, I'm a point guard. Let me be the point guard. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, even even but while they was announcing it, <laughs> even while they was announcing it, where I work at in Tempe is right on a flight path for Phoenix. Yeah, you should just you should have seen private jet, private jet, private jet, private jet, private jet, private jet. They just all started just coming in all of a sudden out of nowhere. That waste management tournament is coming up too. No, that was that was a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. It was was and yeah, it was nuts. That was yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> I thought I thought I was gonna see Malik. I thought I was gonna see Malik on one of them private on one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I try to become the next Franklin Saint. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see that? Yeah, I had to get just. He was like, "Yeah, he said, yeah, you know what it is, you know what it is, what it is." I was like, "That's where, that's where it was shot. That's the that was the airport it was shot at. That was the first episode. That was the same. That was the same hangar, same plane. Oh, that's sweet, crazy. Shout out to our day one, David Flores, to tap it in. He said, "Come to Idaho if you want to see the snow buttons." That's hilarious. Oh man! So when you oh, come up, you said next week, Sean. I man, I land, I land in LA Monday at nine o'clock. That's what's up. That's what's up. And we right. already, we already have a date in the OC. You yep. know, with with Rex Fluger. Rex okay, Fluger. that's dope. Meet up with him. So check the Instagram page. We definitely gonna be on that. All um, right, Malik. Malik already said the place. Yes, Silky Sullivan's, Silky Sullivan's, we go to Millikins, Malarkey's, we got the places. Oh, shoot. I I know what I wanted to tell you. When y'all do get to the Blue and Gold game, Sean, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know whoever needed it. I need somebody with a camera to get you to take your first bite of that Frankie's. And I I want to see an instant reaction. Other Frankies, okay. Other Frankies, because you got to order it correct now. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna DM it to you when you get it, and Malik know too. Okay. Yeah, got it. Yeah, You gonna get you a you gonna get you a tip dinner. Tip dinner. Sauce, okay. Sauce in the fries, bread on top. Bread okay. on top. Gotcha. Yeah. Very gotcha. important. That that is that is important that you do it just like that. Okay. Gotcha. I need somebody with a camera and some video that as soon as you bite into that tip and that hit and that sauce hit you like right here, it's right. gonna hit you right there. And I'm you telling doing, you, doing, doing, doing one of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna need to see that. I'm gonna need to see that. So our girl DBZ said, "Need that Frankie's," and then Chris Basker, "Love me some rib tips from Frankie." Hey, hey, that's gonna be my first stop, bro. I'm oh, wait, I'm I'm there. I get back to Chicago and I'm there for the pro day, like three okay. days later. So I'm definitely well you might have to eat it after the pro day because you might fall asleep if you get it before, you know. What I mean? Yeah, you're gonna get the itis real easy, you know. Be like, dang, I can't even make it to the pro day. I'm I mean you got looking, the at, looking at the combine performances, I might fall asleep <laughs> anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> hey, and don't sleep on them chicken tenders at Frankie's too. Don't sleep on them either. Really See, that's different. Know. I always got the rib tip. It was hard to get past that. This is true. Very true. Well, Gene, thank you for joining us today, man. Have a great weekend. And uh, eventually we'll bring a Nora out to Arizona. We out here, baby. We out here. Hey, I got the spot. I, I got the spot. Okay. All you got to do is come right to you. We come right you, all you got to do is say the word. I have the spot. I promise you. Okay. We it's locked. <laughs> all right, boy. Have a good one. Peace, y'all. Yo, Gene leaves the line open. We just put the, the uh, link in the chat one more time. DBs, he said they open at 11 a.m. Right at lunch. They know people getting on that lunch break. Come on by. So we had Dex men- mention Frankie's. I think Brandon mentioned that Brandon mentioned Frankie's. 
Frankie's has to be the spot, bro. It has to be. It has to be the spot. I got to put you on, man. It's one of those, uh, you'll miss it because it's such a hole in the wall, but it's one of those, you know, you from South Bend, if you can talk about Frankie's. All right, man. You know, you know, I'm going to stack it up against some spots in the shot. Oh, man, listen. You talk about South Bend ain't as big as Chicago. We can't even try to make that comparison. CDBZ says, for the culture. You know what time it is. Yeah, that's right. Petticoat. Petticoat. It's time to get petty. Oh, we did a good job executing. Are you upset with something? And fire up the Petticoat Junction train. I just don't like you. You don't? No. What is today's petty historic Petty Junction? Right, Petty Junction, each and every day, Petty story of the day. Yo, so not only did the Seattle Seahawks, my brother, Trey Russell Wilson, they also released all-pro linebacker Bobby Wagner, That's who bad. was the rock. You talk about the Legion of Boom on the back end. He was the rock in the middle of that defense. He was the Ray Lewis of that team. He, he literally was the counter defensively to Russell Wilson. Literally. He, literally. He, he was a quarterback. Today he tweeted out, you know what's crazy? After 10 years of giving everything to this team and organization, they didn't even have the balls to tell me. I was oh! You tell me the Seattle Seahawks, you got to go on a petty train, fam. Oh yeah, that's he's going into Hall of Fame. He's going into the Hall of Fame and to the Seahawks Hall of Fame, Ring of Honor, whatever y'all got up there. He's going to be there. You, and you didn't even. Tell him? You can't Facetime this man. You don't have he to call him into the facility. You don't have to call him into the facility. No respect you, for him. You couldn't Facetime this man. To let yeah, at least oh Richard. And it's not like it's like. Pete Carroll's there, bro. I don't care what has changed in the front office. Pete Carroll's yeah. there. And he's responsible for that. Pete Carroll been long there long enough that had too many encounters to not say nothing. Man, look here, man. Look here. I when I saw that, I was appalled. Yeah. I, I was appalled. I was That's appalled. Right. Let me be personal for a second. Go ahead, because it looks like you're about to say something to it. I was going to say the league don't love you, man. And these no. teams and the fans that hold these players so accountable to stay in there through hella high water is an example of why you can't do that. This is the staple. Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner were the staple of that team for a whole decade. And the way they did Bobby, you know, they was talking about releasing Russell earlier, but the way they did Bobby cold-hearted like that, that's tough for it to be a guy that they're going to celebrate in the ring of honor at their team. Mm -hmm. So just to update, this has been established or tweeted out by Phil Yates. Deshaun Watson's contract for the team that acquires him. It's a bargain, bro. 2022, 
$35 million salary, $35 million cap hit. 2023, $20 million salary, $17 million cap hit with a roster bonus of $17 million. 2024, $32 million salary, $32 million cap hit, and the same thing in 2025. You just saw Aaron Rodgers get five votes. Yeah, you know big I mean? ones. Big ones. Five votes annually. So if you're able to get 32, heck, Dak was get Dak is at right about 30, right? Well, he, he, might get his, he might get his restructured. Dude, he needs to get it rescinded. <laughs> Forget restructuring. I'm a I'm a Cowboys fan. They need to rescind that contract. See why you got? Oh my god, dude! They should have never gave dude. They That's emotions. They look. They let their emotions get the best of them. Emotions. That's the market. Yeah. The market. The market said you, pay them that let much. Me tell you why? Let me tell you why they let their emotions get the best of them. Emotions. Because the injury. Oh my gosh! They got the injury. They felt bad. So now they feel it bad. So you signing guys fifty million dollar contracts? What say it again? Say it again. All that money you because you feel bad? No, no, no. I said they let the emotions get the best of them. Not when I in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. He can go to Houston right now. I don't need to see Deshaun take a snap. (laughs) I don't need to see anything. We can make that trade right now. It'll go down the street. They just trade down the street. No, I heard the day spas are better in Dallas anyway. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Let me stop, man. Let me stop. Let yeah, me he, stop. he just got to quit it, man. He just got to quit stop. it. Don't get the case reopened or something. Let me be personal for a second, man. Brad Underwood and the Illinois fighting the line for losing. In the quarterfinals of the Big Ten tournament to that trash Indiana team, all of y'all, <laughs> we taking the charter plane back to Champaign. Nah, y'all, come off. Come off that charter. Come get y'all tails on this petty train. That's the only way you get back to Champagne. The only way you get back to Champagne for that, ter- that embarrassing loss at the hands of the Indiana Hoosiers, who are horrible. Number one seed. They are horrible. And you look horrible. Horrible. Yo. So how far you got going in the tournament? Second round. (laughs) I'm a realistic fan, bro. I'm a realistic fan, bro. Is it that? Is it that? Come on, because of one game. They just lost to an eight seed as a number one seed in the tournament, in the Big Ten tournament. They already lost to a number eight seed. <laughs> what do you it's think they're going to do when they face the five seed? But second round? Second round. They lost in the second round last year as a number one seed. You can't say history going to repeat itself like that. Yo, the roster is worse and the coach is still average. <laughs> you can't be average on back-to-back one seeds. Uh, no, no, no. They're going to be a four seed this year. Oh, yeah. They're on the four seed line. So they're going, like a, that. they're going to play a five seed in the second round. Which is going Winnable to be a game. game. 
and they're going to lose. <laughs> they're going to lose. This is Illinois basketball. For oh, Notre Dame fans think they have it bad? Try being an Illinois basketball fan. Just try. <laughs> try coming. Try graduating from the state school that can't keep the best players in the state home for basketball. Can't when they got it. Chicago an hour and a half away as your base for recruiting, and you can't even get the kids from Chicago to come down an hour and a half and play for you. They're, they're lucky they got Io. They're lucky they got Io. Well, Loyola been uh, Loyola been doing better than that, right? Absolutely. And I don't want to say how they got Io. You know what is the no, duffel bags? I don't, don't want to go into that. I don't want to go into that. You know what I mean? You got to be on the petty train for dry snitching. Uh, dude, you know. <laughs> there was a drop-off spot. You know, yeah. somebody showed up with a couple of duffels. Yeah. And then, and then there was a nice handshake, a couple of nods. And the program was resurrected. Just like that. <laughs> the program was resurrected. My only problem is he's on the Chicago Bulls now. What's we going to do now? Yeah. What's we going to do now? You better start <laughs> fundraising. Get them, fun, get them fundraisers going. Hey, man. Look, it's been a fantastic week. Everybody, go back, check out the archive shows on our YouTube channel. Special announcement today. We are going to officially be changing the name of the YouTube uh, channel tomorrow morning. It will no longer be the Lucky Lefty podcast. Tomorrow, we will become Lucky Lefty Network. <laughs> and what that means is we have multiple shows in development. Uh oh. Give you more content to talk NBA, Major League Baseball. NFL, all of that. And of course, what I'm sure most of you love the most, sports betting. You can get Ooh. your Calvin Ridley on, dude. We don't care. Yeah. I don't have a problem. If you don't want the significant other to know, we'll show you how to change your name and put it in a different <laughs> name. If he had us next to him, he wouldn't have been in trouble. We, we yeah, he would be Calvin. Was it Calvin really eighteen? Yeah. We, we would have had. We definitely would have had his back. Like, bro, hold on, what you doing? Yeah, you got to name up, man. We the aliens. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Let me tell you something. A little story. It's one of the things I feel really bad about. Right. I think I shared this story with you before. When I look at the Deshaun Watson story, I go back to my days at the University of Illinois. And so I was there. One of my child, I grew up with childhood friends with Simeon Rice. Mm. I used to kill Simeon Rice when we played nerf football in the street, bro. Because, mm. you know, Sim was always bigger than everybody, but Sim was uncoordinated. Yeah. Right? So, do I, man. I was catching bombs on Sam just considering, <laughs> right? But somehow, some way, Frank, the legendary Frank Linty, saw him at a camp his seventh grade year, and got him to come to Mount Carmel. By the time I saw Sam his sophomore year in high school, I was like, 
the hell did they do to you? He was turned oh, up. Yo, he was totally transformed. So you Jeez. get we fast, fast forward to U of I. He's staying in the, this big crib, right? It's him, Dennis Stallings, and a couple other guys. I, I don't want to be putting names out there. A couple other guys. So every Friday night, I had a car. He didn't have a car. I had a car as a freshman. So I was the guy that they would send to make the pickups on Friday night <laughs> to bring back to the crib. He was a right? duffel bag. Right? Like, man, go to the go to the six-pack. It's going to be three girls waiting for you. You know, bring them back to the crib. Now, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world back then. <laughs> but the old I got, I look back on it, I'm like, I can't believe I was <laughs> I was the Wrangler, dog. Like, yeah. Like the man, shepherd. Yeah, go get these. John the shepherd. Go herd them in. Right. Go get this. Now go over here and get this. Bro, <laughs> now they did. They back then. You know, gas was only, you know, I'm about to age myself. Back then, gas was literally like a dollar a gallon. Oh, shit. Yeah, it was a dollar a gallon back then, dude. So, but they gave me gas money, you know, and I caught some leftovers. They accommodated. I caught leftovers from being at the crib. You know what I'm saying? So, it turned out to be pretty good, but it was just like. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Yeah, sometimes, you know. My daughter's in college, and I'm like, mm. Mm, I'll, probably, I'll probably break a dude's neck, man. <laughs> but I can't hate. You know what I mean? Because I was part of the process. Yeah, you was, you was a wrangler. You was a shepherd. Said, hey, uh, what you doing? Yeah, right. right. It was you. It was right. you. <laughs> Yo, so always be thoughtful of how things can play out different if the tables are turned. When you're right. making decisions in life. <laughs> That's right. Lucky That's Lucky right. Podcast. Like I said, we are now Lucky Lucky Network. We got great content coming. A couple of shows that will probably be launched in a couple of weeks. And uh it's dope. And the only reason we can do it is because you guys believed in us. You give us your time, you give us your attention, and uh we appreciate you. And we want to continue to give back. And we're going to chop it up. And we're going to keep trying to expand the brand and give you more content. Heck, if I can get some wrestling in here, I'll get a wrestling podcast in here. I don't talk about it because, you know, I go back to, like, Devon Eriks and Hulk Hogan. So yeah. I haven't watched wrestling in, like, 10 years, bro. That's spinning it all the way. Yeah. So we got to get it done. Who said ketchup on potato chips? What? Mm. Come on, man. You got to do better. Oh, Michael Campbell. I appreciate you, my brother. We definitely got to put James Harden on the petty train. Yes, we do. For that performance last night. And, <laughs> and for the little, the little huddle that Kyrie, KD, and Ben Simmons, B-E-E-N, not B-E-N, B E E N mm. as in past tense, Simmons. The little laugh and chuckle 
huddle they had on the sidelines, they need to go on the petty train for that too. That's right. That's a good call. But that's going to be a great series, though, in the playoffs if we get to see that. Hey, man, did you ever think that James Harden is, like, on the take? Seems like every big game, dude, this dude has an unimaginable terrible game. It's one thing to be, like, 10 for, 10 for 25, 9 for 25. This dude... At the worst time, is like three for fifteen. Two it wasn't giving him. It wasn't giving him the calls they usually give him. So you know he gonna be mentally taken out by that because that's eight shots right there. I guess so, man. And then if them threes ain't falling early, it's just like you know, what's his game? A bunch of step backs and fouling at the lane. But Embiid yeah. didn't have a good game either, though. So no. No, and B has to stop being – he has to recognize who he is, man. Yeah. Especially in his game, statement game like that. He thinks he's LeBron. Get your big tail down on that box, dude. From the I'm talking about from the first possession. Bang them. Bang them. But that's why Giannis is so good because he knows who he is. Oh, Giannis, Giannis is running to the basket. He's not trying to be anything different. He's like, why would I shoot? Oh, that's it. <laughs> He's out running, he That's running football out to the basket every time. I'm trying to get to the rack. I'm a Euro <laughs> spin, whatever I have to do. And I'm gonna be 20 of 21. Man, I'm hitting hitting over, just putting it in the cup. Just putting it in the cup. I ain't doing nothing hard. Uh Luis Restavo, before we get out of here. What's good, Lucky Lefty? I just missed your show with Dex Williams. I've already just last game of the season. I did see game on Sunday's football gloves to him. Oh, that's what's up. Shout out to Dex. Shout out to Juice, man. Yeah, we'll definitely let him know. All right, bro. All right. That's it, man. We'll see you guys uh, Monday. Don't forget, time goes up this weekend. Daylight saving time. I'm happy about that because we get longer days now, especially since I'm going to be on the West Coast next week. Hey, it's gonna be a good time, man. Can't wait to get out of here. Yo, so we'll te- we'll let you know what we're gonna do next week. We might end up just doing a joint show on a couch somewhere. That's right. That's real talking talk. that talking that real, talking that real lucky left. No doubt. Had the Anora on the table in front of us. Half hope. Half hope. <laughs> of my boy Malik Zayem Shaw Davis, man. Check us out Monday. Don't forget, hit the smash, smash that like button. We appreciate you. As always, spin it different. Have a great weekend.